Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. The reading this morning is from 3 John. The elder to my friend, dear Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We thought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied. With that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there, there by name. Wonderful. Thanks, Megan. Yeah. Let's give Megan a hand. Diotrephes is a not-so-common name. Well done. Well done. All right. Well, like I said, today marks the end of our 2022-2023 ministry year, and we're finishing a series going through uh, the letters of John. Today we find ourselves in 3rd John, as we have heard read for us, uh, written by what is coined as an elder, and we hold the assumption that it is the Apostle John. A lot of the similarities from the first two letters are present in this one as well. But it's interesting because this one feels personal. <laughs> that this, this letter doesn't maybe feel in the same breath as if you were reading Romans, per se, or you were reading the book of Genesis. This feels like an extremely personal letter to a friend. In fact, it holds the, the title of our series, Dear Friend, specifically in regards to Gaius. And Gaius means rejoicing. Uh, rejoicing is what John is doing at the beginning of the letter, but the tone kind of changes as it goes. Gaius is a friend that he wants to communicate with care, but he also wants to provide a warning. And so he provides this warning, and it, it makes me feel like he's almost trying to ease him into this feeling of, I've got some bad news. Your, your leader, Diotrephes, he's, he's, not, he's not doing what needs to be done. In fact, he's not simply doing something that's kind of bad and he should course correct. He's doing something that he articulates as evil. He's doing something that is harmful to the mission of the gospel that John is working 
words, not on his own, but with the group that he is sending out to be missionaries across the area. This, this is not an isolated incident for, for John. He's, he's seen happen over and over again that those he are sending to this church are being rejected. And it's hurting not only them as individuals, not only them as a church, but it's hurting the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ from reaching the people of that area. So this is not just a bad thing or a kind of odd thing that needs to get course corrected. This is evil. And I think it can be hard for us to take this idea of a grudge leading to action in such a almost passive sense to be, to be evil. We, we don't combine the idea of evil to such things often. How, how do you deal with bad news? When someone sends you bad news, are you calm and composed or you feel like, okay, I've got this covered? Do you feel a little bit like your back is up? Do you feel uncertain, apprehensive? Bad news does, does a lot of things to a lot of people. Colin Powell is quoted as saying, bad news isn't wine. It doesn't improve with age. While psychologist Daniel Kahneman notes that the brains of humans contain a mechanism that is designed to give a priority to bad news. Bad news comes in life. The question is not will bad news come, it's when bad news, when will bad news come? And then ultimately, how do I give it and how do I receive it? Because this letter, it actually starts off pretty happy. It gives like a classic feel of an opening to an email. Hope you're doing well. And then it jumps into talking about the things that he believes Gaius is communicating and doing in accordance to the way of Jesus. He's really proud of Gaius, in fact. He's really really holding this joy, this rejoicing with him over what Gaius is doing. But at the core of it, John names this specific church leader and says that he's spreading malicious nonsense about John and those that he sends to him. And like I said, this is not just a, uh, a side issue. This is an imminent issue that they needed to deal with. Can you imagine this? Uh, how many in the room would maybe say they're more conflict avoidant? If, if Gaius is conflict avoidant in this moment, I imagine that this is actually a little bit of an uncomfortable letter. All of the, the difficulty that he's named about Diotrephes perhaps overshadows the nice things that has been said about Gaius. It's a little bit of like a, a bad news burger with two good news buns on either side of it. John knows what he's doing. But it's interesting, and I want us to take note of it, the things that are celebrated in Gaius' life are compromised in Diotrephes. And two things in particular we're going to talk about this morning. Hospitality and unity. Now, we don't know a lot about Diotrephes. There's a lot of stipulation about what position he held in the church. And even Gaius, was he perhaps the bishop of the area in Asia Minor? There's not anything firm on all those little details. But what we do know is it says specifically about this church leader that he loves to be first. 
I, I think old man John is awesome. He, he does not pull punches. He's not trying to be politically correct. He's not trying to ease him into it. He just says, this guy's got an issue, and it's primarily because he loves to be first. That is to say, he loves power. And John knows the dangers of power-focused leaders and power-focused people. I think we've all experienced this to some degree within our own everyday workplaces and family environments. When power is the pursuit, people are often the casualty. When power is the pursuit, all of the value systems that might have been there previously and held really honestly get compromised really quickly. When power is the initiative of action, our decisions become focused purely on ourselves. And in many ways, it sits as the opposite of hospitality. Power and hospitality don't go hand in hand. Sure, you can have someone over for dinner, but if power is the purpose, then you're only going to invite people over for dinner who are helpful to you. And that's just not what hospitality is. And especially within our Western culture, we have capped hospitality to almost simply be, hey, you want to come over for dinner one time? But within this Eastern culture, hospitality means something so, so different. I know even like for Anthony and Sophia, they're they're living in, in new hope. And you see all the Eastern traditions and cultures of what hospitality looks like. And it looks dramatically different. And we come sometimes kind of like joke about it. Like it's like five days for an Indian wedding. It's a long time for a party. And we, we, see the, we see the tent, we see the lights, and we see the party going on. And we think back to like how we do it, maybe more in a Western culture. And it's like one day we want to get everyone through the day because we got to get back because childcare expires at midnight. Like we got to get all that happening. But it's just different within Eastern traditions and cultures. Hospitality looks different. But if, if hospitality is one thing, then power is something so dramatically opposite to it. History has shown us what power-focused people do. We don't have to look too far to, to see the, the impact of tyrants and dictators within our modern world. But even within the history of Christianity, we see the great schism of 1054 where the, West and the Western and the Eastern church split off because they were vying for power. There were some theological differences, but ultimately they were looking at the seat of power that was starting to originate in the Rome with the Pope and there was a push and you got the Western church and you got the Eastern church. You got the seat of power in Rome. You get the seat of power in Istanbul. You get the Pope and you get the patriarch. It's two different groups of people who are broken off because of this pursuit of power. And that's on a macro scale. We most definitely have seen that on a micro scale. Within our relationships, within our friendships, within our churches. Power-focused people is what John has an issue with here. All this to say, for a letter talking about hospitality, generosity, unity, and a significant grudge, John makes it clear that what is taking place is not just kind of bad, but is actually evil. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 37, to flee from evil and do the thing that is good and dwell forevermore. And it seems simple enough. Run from evil. Don't go towards things that are bad. But I just think we seem to have trouble seeing this evil for what it is in our lives. 
So we're going to look at this, these evils of disunity and a lack of hospitality. There's some things that are kind of presented as optional in life. Uh, volunteering is an optional thing. Getting a new t-shirt is an optional thing. Uh, having that third helping at your all-you-can-eat buffet, that's an optional thing. Uh, having that fourth online subscription box that doesn't really prov provide anything of value in your life, that's an optional thing. Going to the gym, optional thing. Learning a new language, optional thing. There's different things that maybe have priority in our lives about what we're going to do, but we have optional things. John is saying here, hospitality isn't optional. In verse 8, he actually communicates that hospitality is an expression of our partnership with truth. That it is, as we've often talked about, an expression of our relationship with God. It's a partnership with truth. And when hospitality is compromised, we are no longer advocating for the truth that God desires for us to experience in our lives. Gaius is commended by John over and over again for his hospitality and his support specifically of traveling missionaries who are spreading the gospel. Gaius seems to have a positive and accommodating attitude toward these missionaries and their work. And what John is drawing upon within Mediterranean tradition, there was often a narrative that was presented where there was an incognito God that would seek hospitality from human hosts. That is to say, we should always treat the guests within our home with the same value system that we would as if God himself were at the table. And that's represented in the, in the story of Jesus as well. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talks about treating people in the same way as if he was in their home. Hospitality is an important social feature of the ancient Mediterranean world. Christine, Christine Pohl writes that hospitality is basic to who we are as followers of Jesus. And every aspect of our lives can be touched by its practice. She also comments that welcome begins with dispositions characterized by love and generosity. Jesus multiple times in his ministry exemplifies the beauty and necessity of hospitality, whether it's at the Last Supper where he's caring for his disciples, providing a meal and washing their feet. Hospitality is shown in self-sacrifice or the invitation of children to be in his midst that it was not about getting somebody around him who could give something to him. It was putting him in spaces so that he can be one who gives to others, that it wasn't dependent on someone actually providing something of value to him. That is hospitality represented through Jesus. And like I said, hospitality that is service of self rejects those who we deem to be unhelpful. And this is where I think it gets a little uncomfortable. I know I'm guilty of inviting people into spaces that are maybe more hospitable in moments that I'm like, oh, I, I would love to like actually get something out of this conversation or from this, from this person or from, from this interaction. It's, it, there's always like this motive behind it that we are somehow wired to think is okay. And then we equate hospitality to this mission of discovering information. <laughs> Hospitality that only invites people who are helpful to you isn't hospitality. It is actually just selfish. 
And this is what happens in these situations. When that is our our primary purpose. I'm not saying you can't ask good questions. Let's be curious people. (laughs) But if the pursuit is just power, we become people like Diotrephes. Where offense comes easy. Where we're going to be quick to maybe actually feel like our power is being challenged or compromised. Our position is at risk. And when power is the pursuit and our position is at risk, the rejection of those who are unhelpful to us is often the first act. I I know I feel... I feel that for my own life when I read this text. How have I invited people in my life? Where have I asked questions or tried to engage in conversation? Have I done so with true kindness that is motivated by love and compassion? And where I have not, oh God, I confess and I repent, would you renew my heart in a new way? Gaius might have hospitality down pat. Diotrephes is thinking about power. But all of this is leading to this place that the sharing of the gospel isn't a side mission. In fact, it's the primary pursuit that John presents. Sharing the gospel is of the highest importance and to treat it any differently is evil. It's it's to miss it completely. Hospitality is not meant to simply share a meal. Hospitality has mission in mind that I might empower a greater purpose beyond myself. Because what hospitality leads us towards is this idea of unity. And unity is righteousness at work. Uh, Clearly there's division in the community that John is talking about. We saw it in the first letter. We saw it in the second letter. That there is division taking place in these home churches that John is caring for from a distance. He's seen it take place, whether it is a counter-teaching, people rising up and starting different factions. There is differences that are causing real conflict within the community. Unity is not taking place amongst them. And John, at the very end of the letter, he says... Uh, greet them by name. That is to say that he actually knew them. This isn't a wide letter just to say nice things. This is to a group of people that he actually knew. He wanted the individuals that he had spent time with to know that he was thinking of them. And so he desired unity amongst them and with himself. But what, what is unity? Unity is an idea that I think has been commandeered by our culture to be more about conformity, to be more about uniformity, to be more about just everyone has to agree about the same thing at all times in order for unity to be present. I don't think we have to look very far to see how disunity has infiltrated every piece of our lives, our workplaces, our homes. COVID was the, the, the catalyst in many ways of what was lying underneath the surface of this disunity that rocked families and cultures and workplaces and cities. It, this, this was already underneath the surface. It just brought it out. But the Bible has something to say about unity. Psalm 133 talks about unity and it says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. 
It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. There's a lot of images that can be associated with unity. Um, holding of hands, the interlocking puzzle pieces. Even if you think about the Olympic rings, there's five rings, the five continents interlocked, representing international uh, unity and cooperation. This is maybe the images that come to mind. Oil isn't the first one that comes to mind for me. But our desire and pursuit of unity are two very different things. I think we've become really good at saying, I want us to be unified in this idea, in this place, in this conversation. But we have struggled to actually live that out. We don't trust people's words anymore, and so therefore real relationship is difficult to establish. What Psalm, 20, Psalm 133 does is it presents the idea of unity, not just in word, but in action. Psalm 133 is part of a grouping of 12, uh, 13, 14 psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent. And these Songs of Ascent were sung by the Jewish people as they were on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem where they would be about to engage in a festival or a feast. And as they were ascending that hill together towards Jerusalem, they would be declaring unity. They'd be singing this song. It's interesting. We would read this psalm Maybe in our own personal devotion time, maybe on our own, when in reality, the song of ascent, Psalm 133, is a declaration meant to be made with people around you in the process of ascending something that is difficult. This, this is a song of unity that is not just power in the words, but power in the action. And there is something for us to learn in that. What are the spaces and the things that we are doing to have the words of unity that we might be speaking be joined with the actions we are taking? Are we actually inviting people to be on the journey of life with us, to ascend to the different spaces that we're working towards, to, to battle through the situations that we're in, and declaring unity together, not just in word, but in action? This is the song itself is a model of unity. But then they begin to speak of oil. And oil is this, this metaphor that would have had a lot of meaning to the Israelite people. They would have heard that the oil was dripping down his beard, the beard of Aaron, and over his, his robe. And then we know that Aaron was the high priest, the one who would enter into the Holy of Holies. He would go before God, and he would be able to communicate between God and between the people. That is to say, this oil that was dripping from Aaron would fall upon the people around him. And there is a connection between unity, how good and how pleasant it is, to dwell together in unity, it is like oil. Unity and oil go together. And what was oil used for? Oil was used to consecrate, consecrate and to set apart individuals for service to God. Therefore, unity is portrayed as something precious and holy. The, the symbolism of oil is rich and it's layered. Oil, it consecrates the people for sacred roles. Unity makes his people set, set apart. 
Oil is smooth and fluid in nature. Unity makes relationships harmonious and seamless. Oil is used for medicinal and nourishing purposes. Unity feeds our souls. This is what the psalmist is writing. And John was seeing the cost of Diotrephes' actions upon the life of his church. That this would not be a people set apart. That this would not be a people with harmonious relationships. That this would not be a people with their souls being fed because unity was being compromised by their leader. And he's saying to guys, you have to push back. Unity is worth it. Because it is like oil from heaven that is the gift of God for the nourishment of our souls, for the nourishment of his people. I wonder what obstacles we are facing in our own lives that are preventing us from unity. Remember, unity is not 100% agreement. In fact, John is pushing for unity and he's telling him, In order to get unified, you need to tell Diotrephes that you are not in agreement with what he is doing. What are the obstacles to unity that you face? Is it a hard set opinion? Is it a past hurt? Is it it an apathy that has turned your attention completely away from your faith and purely upon your, your ministry? Is is it an idolization of of, of a pursuit or a person or a thing that has distracted you from the things of God? What are the barriers to unity that have been placed around us by us? And here's the thing. There's a paradoxical nature to how we deal with these moments. It's never so simple as a black and white answer. I love how nuanced the scriptures are and the reality of what it is to be human. Because he's a God of justice and he bestows blessing through unity. Both are required of us. And then he makes the invitation through Jesus, love your neighbor and love God. But here's the challenges that I can find myself in. That we compromise the command to love our neighbor by making justice our prerogative by any means necessary. Or we compromise the command to love God by making the feelings of people more important than the truth of the gospel. We need help. (laughs) From conversation to conversation, from situation to situation, we need more than just a hard stance that we take out of our own prerogative. The other metaphor and symbol that's used when it comes to the oil is the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is that which is associated with unity. Because it is the Spirit of God that provides the wisdom and the discernment of how to pursue relationship in a way that draws people together while also pursuing the ways of God. At some point, and I don't know this for a fact, I'm just making this assumption based upon how humans are, Diotrephes had pure intention. At, at, at one point in his journey. And then he began to put different things in front of his, himself that were priorities. 
and they became obstacles to unity. And then we see bitterness has taken root and offense now rules his mind. He's so worried about being first. And it's clear that that has led him to a place of offense with the Apostle John. To the point that if anyone shows up at his door and is associated with John, they would be rejected. This is the leader of a church. And the only qualification of whether they would be accepted was whether or not they had an association with John. And it might seem incredibly petty, but we are guilty of many of the same approaches. We have dug our heels into the stand. We put down what we say is our biggest and most important thing. And if anyone disagrees, they're no longer welcome in my circle, in my home. Have wisdom, have discernment, understand what is safe and healthy. But in the same way, understand the things that have taken root in our hearts that are not of God. And often, the easiest way to identify that is look at the fruit of it. The fruit of the actions of Diotrephes was the gospel was not being spread in that area by those who were coming to do the work. So how do we navigate this careful dance? It's not by our own strength. But it's by the Spirit. Like precious oil poured on the head running down. In verse 3 it says, Like morning dew found upon awakening, awakening, falling on. Do you see the language of the Spirit being presented in the writing of the psalmist? Unity isn't the activity of good works or good intentions or good thoughts. It is the power of the Spirit actively working upon the lives of people. That is to say, if you are experiencing disunity in your life, then we need to ask ourselves, have we actually submitted our lives to the working of the Spirit? Or have I simply decided that my prerogative, my ideas, my convictions are the highest priority and not the leading and guiding and the posturing of my heart towards the Spirit? Because when the Spirit flows, it flows upon and through the beard. And we no longer live in that old covenant where only one can go and approach the Holy of Holies. But Jesus, the high priest, came and he has the Spirit coming upon him, flowing through him and out past him upon the people that call him Lord and the spirit comes upon all people and what is that spirit it's the spirit to do the good works of the kingdom beyond our understanding but it's also just to simply experience the unity that the world cannot provide number three offense rejects the spirit's power in our lives it's what we see in the life of Diotrephes. It gets our eyes on ourselves. And in our individualized culture where we function in our faith in an isolated state, eventually our hearts of pride and self-glorification can become subtle killers of our soul. 
but the Spirit wants to bring unity. This morning, I wonder if you have something that has lingered upon your heart. Perhaps you've had a pain or a hurt caused by someone in a previous church experience. Maybe there's someone in your family that has has said something that has stuck with you. And and it seems to be the the foundation from which you act and think and respond, and you're so tired of it. You don't want to see that be your story anymore. Worship team, you can join me at the front. I want to take a moment this morning, and I want you just to, we, we, we all have real life experiences that we need to experience freedom from. And it might be a simple word that has stayed with you over the years, that has made you resistant to actually living in unity with other followers of Jesus. Or maybe it's stuck with you and has prevented you from even being in unity with the God who just declares his love for you. You almost feel like this bitterness that is in your heart is all you can think about. We are, we're so guilty when we read, this, read the scriptures of making ourselves the hero. We like to think we're Gaius. That John's writing to us, his dear friend, when... Far too often, we are diatrophies. We feel resentment or we're clamoring for control. And we're doing so at the cost of hospitality and unity. We're doing so at the cost of having the Spirit lead our lives. If you could bow your heads with me, I want you just to think to yourself, if, if you feel like this is not something that you're carrying, all glory to God, that, that is a gift. But if there is something someone has said, if there has been something in your life that you have just sought control and power over and you've resisted anybody to even come around it, maybe bitterness and resentment has taken root in your heart from from an experience. I just just ask you, would you bring that to the forefront of your mind? And we're asking this morning for the Spirit to do what we could not. For the Spirit to reveal and to begin to heal that wound and lead us towards an expression of life that is full of his kindness and hospitality, full of his joy and unity. Jesus, I pray that we would be free from the machinations that we produce in our life so that power and control might be preserved for our own benefit. I pray that there would be freedom from words and thoughts and interactions that seem to come up every time we want to move towards something that is good. I pray for healing 
from the wounds that seem so tender that we don't even want to touch it. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to even acknowledge it because it just breaks our heart every time we think about it. And Jesus, I pray for humility to wash over your people. That we would be like Gaius, more other person-centered in how we treat the people in our lives, whether we know them or we don't, whether we feel like they can help us or not, that we see all people as people made in your image. And we see you in your hospitality, your generosity, overflowing our lives, and we can't just keep that to ourselves. So Spirit of God, pouring down the beard of Jesus and down his robe and onto his people. Spirit, we need you. who's brought that to the forefront of their mind. Whatever the cry of their heart is this morning, I pray that you meet them in it and provide the healing that is needed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.